Well, welcome to the journey. Uh, today, I have a special guest, uh, Rachel Bagney. And uh, Rachel and I had just met a couple of weeks ago and uh, had an opportunity of the exciting things that she's doing in our community. And um, we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. But as, as many of you know, uh, the journey is uh, a show that focuses on stories of transformation, stories of resilience, stories of individuals who've not only gone on their own journey, but now um, because of that journey are finding ways of being able to give back uh, to other individuals and to community as whole. So uh, Rachel, welcome to, welcome to the to the journey. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. I'm excited. Yeah, not a problem. Well, Rachel, I always ask uh, if Rachel has the opportunity to have some fun, what would we catch <laughs> you doing having fun? <laughs> um, I mean, I have three boys. And so my fun is learning along with them. Um, I love to just go out and, and find fun things to do, even if it seems like the most, um, not the most exciting experience to an adult, the way that kids experience things is on a whole other level. And so that's something that is really exciting for me. I have a nine-year-old, six-month or six-year-old and a nine-month-old. And so the different stages that they're at, their experiences make the the different um, adventures that we go on a lot more fun for me. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so, you know, it's interesting you say that because I, re I reflect back on, you know, my son is 26 and my daughter's 23. So it's been a while since uh, we I've had him at the ages that you, your kid, your sons are. But I, I remember thinking to myself that each stage was my favorite stage. Mm -hmm. you know, oh, yeah. You know, especially as they were growing up, I just I, I really enjoyed each each stage. And, and the new stage was was just as uh, just as enjoyable as the previous stage was. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So beyond that, um, I love gardening. I am actually a youth group leader here in the community. And so I helped to establish a community garden at our temple a few years ago. And so that's something that um, unfortunately this year, because of all of the undertakings that I have um, taken on, um, it's kind of been left to the wayside, but I'm really excited to now jump into it. And um, it's very therapeutic. It's very soothing to be out getting dirt under your fingernails and finding the new little plants pop up with their, their flowers and then their babies and then a vegetable or a fruit that you can actually eat. And you know how much love and, and work you put into it. Mm -hmm. And so that's very satisfying to me. So that's something that even without the youth group kids, I go out there on my own on a regular basis. And that's kind of my, my time. Sure. Sure. <laughs> so how did you get into gardening? Tell, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. And then how, and then how did it tie into bringing it to your youth group and all that? Mm -hmm. So um, that was actually interesting. I grew up with, with garden beds in my backyard as a lot of people do. Um, moved away for college, didn't have them for a while. And then when I was in grad school, I, a, one of my intern or my internship rotations was with uh, the NIU Community Garden. And so I got to get back into a little, a, a little bit and then um, tie it back into my childhood. My dad was a very big advocate for any 
any food that we could not use that was produced in our garden, it automatically went to Rockford Rescue Mission or the food pantries or somewhere local to help other members of our community. Um, and he really advocated actually for years without getting anywhere with it to help establish a community garden. So um, becoming youth group leader, I was able to kind of push from a different angle and help to establish that. So it made a full circle and it was a really special thing to me to be able to, um, he's no longer with us, but to be able to bring that in. Um, so it means a lot on a personal level as well as this this community level for me. Sure, sure. Are you, are you from Rockford? I grew up in Matesney Park, moved away to Buffalo um, for school round one, um, met my husband there and then moved back when uh, I was pregnant with my oldest son. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So then you, mm-hmm. you graduated from Harlem then? I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what year did you graduate from Harlem? 2007. 2007. Okay. Gotcha. So that was a little bit after I was done coaching there. <laughs> I, okay. I, I, I coached at Harlem until 2001. Started, okay. I, and I graduated from there and it was 2001 that I had, uh, I, I had worked there um, as a school social worker and then as a, as a strength coach and football coach. So uh, and then, and we did have counselors, I think right around that. Yeah. 2007, we had counselors there, but, but I wasn't there myself directly. So, mm-hmm. and, and so you went away to school in Buffalo. Is that right? I did. I did. Yes. I went to the university at Buffalo, um, started out there and um, learned a lot, a lot of life lessons while I was there as many young teenagers, young adults do. Um, and I actually didn't finish undergrad there. I finished undergrad when I came back to, to the area and I went back to school, um, at NIU, did my undergrad there and then went on to grad school at NIU. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And what do you have your undergraduate in now? Um, my undergrad is in, um, nutrition, health and wellness. Okay. And then your master's is? My master's is in clinical and community nutrition. So, and then I also have a graduate certificate in eating disorders. So that's really my main focus um, is helping people with eating disorders, disordered eating, developing um, or relearning positive or sometimes even neutral relationships with their bodies. Um, That's one of my biggest focuses is not so much the clinical aspect, but more um, that interpersonal relationship. Gotcha. Okay. Well, yeah. Tell us a little bit of how, how did you get into that? And then, and then for Mm -hmm. our listeners, uh, they, you know, most people may have heard, uh, you know, heard of eating disorders, but they may not really, you know, know from a, from, and and a lot of people don't know what disordered eating is. So first Mm -hmm. tell us how, how you got into it and, and what drew you into it and, and why do you, this is obviously your thing. So, so then Mm -hmm. how, how did that all come about? How'd you know? Sure. So um, the way that I got into it was a very, very personal one. Um, I mentioned that my father wasn't here anymore. Um, He started to get sick when I was about nine years old. Um, And even at such a young age, um, I started to develop coping mechanisms that related to um, unhealthy relationships with my body, with food. Um, Very much for me, it was a sense of control in this kind of um, chaotic um, circumstance that I, I was in. And so, um, I, from, I would say 
started to have an unhealthy relationship with my body starting about age nine. Um, when I first started showing real signs of an eating disorder was about age 11. Um, and so that continued on all throughout middle school, high school into college was kind of on and off, um, throughout college up until I had, I was pregnant with my oldest son when I was 23. And so at that point I started to recognize it's not about me anymore. Um, and I'm a lucky one. I mean, despite the fact that it was such a long time, I'm very lucky because a lot of people that live with eating disorders, they are not able to disconnect that. Um, I was able to recognize I'm growing human life. I, I have to take better care of myself because this is, it, it's too important. This means the world to me. So I was able to make that disconnection. Um, didn't mean that things stopped for me necessarily, but while I was pregnant, while I was breastfeeding, I very much was able to take care of myself. Um, and so it's been, it's been a long time coming. Um, it's actually not uncommon for, I've found this just by being in school for what I was. Um, it's not uncommon for students to go into a nutrition focused or a wellness or health related field, and they experience a lot of those issues themselves. Um, and so that was something that I find found. And then when I started grad school, um, I started learning more and more. I started diving deeper into those studies about eating disorders. I had a lot of light bulb moments um, all throughout grad school. Um, during my, my graduate certificate classes, during other classes, I was able to realize that um, a lot of the things that I experienced when I was younger that I didn't make the connection of this is an unhealthy behavior. This is an unhealthy coping mechanism. Um, all of a sudden it was like, boom. And, and that was really when I started to heal. Um, and so even though I had the interest in it, I, and I knew that this was what I was meant to do, I was finally able to break free of what was, what held on to me for so long. Um, and so that's, a short version of kind of how sure. I, I ended up here. Sure. So I'm curious for our listeners and just in your own, you know, your own experience with that. Uh, when we talk about individuals that struggle with either food and, and body image or struggle with maybe, uh, you know, a, an unhealthy relationship with a substance or an activity, mm -hmm. it, it many times people, know that what they're doing mm -hmm. is unhealthy right mm -hmm. it, and but there's some other exchange or some other benefit they believe they're getting for doing mm -hmm. this and then something happens right you like what i heard you say earlier is that when you were pregnant with your oldest that narrative had to change because something bigger than yourself was going on and you no longer could follow the narrative pre-pregnancy you know, mm -hmm. that to, absolutely to disassociate how it's impacting your body. Now you knew, you knew that you were providing nutrients for your, your unborn son and, or unborn child. And if you didn't, then there, there could be consequences. Absolutely. Um, and that's, that's pretty common. I mean, quite often 
somebody will hear, whether it's in treatment or therapy um, for an eating disorder, there is a purpose for the eating disorder. It's not a healthy one, but there is a purpose to it. Um, so the goal is that we find where, what, what purpose is it serving and how can we make that exchange for something that's actually going to serve your body long-term, that's going to serve your mind long-term. Cause I'm sure we both know an eating disorder is not purely physical. It's not purely mental. It's a, it's a solid mix of both. Mm -hmm. And so, um, there has to be that line drawn and it's not an easy fix. It's never going to be something where somebody steps into treatment and 30 days later, sayonara, it's gone. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a process, sometimes a lifelong process. Um, and I believe, I believe one from personal experience, but also from just things that I've seen, people can beat them. Um, but somewhere in the back of your brain, it's always, there's the potential to have that little voice in there. Um, and so it is, it's constant work to make sure that you're doing the very best you can in, on any given day, in any given moment, and your best is going to change. It's going to look different every day, but you do the best that you can with the circumstances that you're given and that you're under to make sure that that narrative continually evolves as you evolve. No, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And I've been doing in the past six months, year, I've been doing a lot of uh, research on Viktor Frankl's um, work with his theory on the, this, the importance of meaning and mm -hmm. the, the importance of us having meaning in our life. And, and I, I know that for me, I, I would, when I was younger, I got uh, probably distracted by thinking that meaning was to sit around and think of and contemplate and that that was the way for me to you know meaning was going to come out of contemplation and and I think you know there's there's definitely benefits to meditation definitely benefits to prayer and benefits to to doing those those exercises of contemplation but meaning also comes from doing and mm -hmm. and being involved and as you is in this case you were in a double bind right you are now you know giving life and and you have this life that's 100% dependent on you and then you have this old narrative regarding um food and how food could or should or whatever need to be used for Rachel and it's like okay these are two they're mutually exclusive something something's going to have one narrative's going to have to give Oh yeah. And for yeah. me, it was no brainer. Yeah. Absolutely. Not, not a question. So, um, I was, I was lucky to be able to start to be pulled out of it, um, slowly, but surely. Um, and I've had to do a lot of work myself. Um, I've never been formally diagnosed with an eating disorder from my education. I can absolutely say with certain that that's what I lived with for so long. Um, and that's something that looking back, um, something that I lived with for years was this feeling of, and this, I, I have heard other people put it this way also, and it's really scary to think about it, to be quite honest. I had in my head 
I wasn't doing it good enough. I didn't, I wasn't sick enough. I wasn't thin enough. I wasn't whatever. I wasn't enough um, because it wasn't outwardly noticeable to everybody that I came in contact with. Um, and a lot of people live with that narrative and it's, it's really sad. It's really scary. So a lot of what's happening in the eating disorder world on the, you know, the side of professionals now is, um, kind of this fight against the norm of what an eating disorder looks like. Um, a lot of people have this perception that an eating disorder is anorexia nervosa or bulimia nervosa or, um, binge eating and don't have an idea of what, that it doesn't have a face is, is probably the biggest thing. And one of the biggest messages that I want to give to my clients and, um, just anybody that I'm lucky enough to, to come in contact with is it, it does not have a face. It doesn't have a body because all of our bodies look different. They're meant to look different. You and I could eat the exact same way, could um, exercise the exact amount of time, the exact same exercises. We could sleep the amount of time. We could drink the same amount and we're never going to look the exact same. Um, and we're not meant to, we're not supposed to. And so um, I wanted to help. I want to, I want to do my part to take away some of that stigma that somebody is not good enough to receive the treatment that I know that they deserve. Um, it's really scary when people, one, don't seek out treatment because they don't think they're sick enough to get it. Um, and two, when they're denied treatment because they're not sick enough. Um, and I put that in quotes in case people can't see me because if somebody thinks they have an issue, if they start to recognize, or if somebody in their family or in their world recognizes, Hey, there's something going on here. That's a sign that they need help. Um, and treatment plans don't look the same either, um, for that exact same reason. So, um, there's a lot of nuances. There's a lot that goes into it. And I want to try to help contribute to breaking some of those stigmas and some of that mold. So that kind of segues ways into, you were talking about the stereotypical, uh, what most people are familiar with regarding eating disorders, bulimia, mm -hmm. anorexia, uh, binge eating, those uh, compulsive eating, those, those types of things. You talked about disordered eating. So mm -hmm. on, the, on the continuum, maybe describe to the listeners, what, what do you mean by disordered eating? Sure. So we live in a very... Um, Um, we live in a world that puts a lot of emphasis on the physical body. And because of that, a very toxic diet culture has come to be a norm in our world. A very toxic fitness culture has become part of the norm in our world. Um, and those have contributed to this uptick in disordered eating. And by what I, or what I mean by that is, um, a lot of people are living not necessarily with what could be um, diagnosed as a clinical eating disorder. They, they're not able to check off these, all these boxes um, that's set out by the, the overall diagnoses. Um, but there's certain things that are happening in a lot of lives that are not 
they're not healthy behaviors. Um, there's a lot of things such as this constant need to track our foods. It's become so popular to, you know, the, how it fits your macros, um, the different diets that are, um, they're around every corner. It's part of the everyday conversation to be on a diet. It's, it's part of the quote unquote norm to be on some sort of diet. Um, and, and what I found is a lot of people literally just don't know how to eat without a plan in front of them anymore. And so, um, it's very unusual for somebody to not think about what they're putting in their mouth, um, to simply be able to have that slice of cake and not think about how it's going to affect their exercise the next day or how it's going to affect their, um, their waistline. Or, um, if somebody is at a party, they're thinking before they even get to the party, well, I really shouldn't eat that much earlier in the day because I know I'm going to really enjoy myself later on. And to them, that's a healthy thing because they're seeking out this balance. But what a lot of people aren't thinking about is our bodies deserve to be nourished at any point in time. Our bodies deserve to eat and need to eat throughout the day. So when they're fasting or when they're snacking on carrot sticks earlier in the day, because they know that they're going to go overboard later on, they don't realize that they're actually very potentially contributing to this, this cycle of, um, restricting and binging. And it's not necessarily intentional. It's not necessarily something that they are, are wanting to do or looking at as a diet, but in fact, it actually is. So there are things like that. Um, when there is this thought pattern of, I need to get up at 6am or 5am the next morning because I really went overboard the night before that's contributing to that, that diet mentality, that negative fitness mentality. Um, Kevin, you and I talked a couple weeks ago and we talked about, um, there is this idea of this compensation that needs to happen and it's, Movement should come from a place of joy. Our bodies are meant to move. I will never argue that. Um, but our bodies are meant to move from a place of love and from this, this place of joy. When something is no longer serving you, maybe we need to find a different, a different path, an alternative way of doing it. Um, I personally love lifting weights. I love the power that it gives me when I go down to my basement and I throw my headphones on or I blast some music and I get to pick up something heavy. Alternatively, I love yoga. I've, I've incorporated it so heavily that into my business, that's how much I love it. Um, because I want to share that with people. Neither one serves me every single day. Um, nor do they serve me for months at a time. Sometimes um, when I was really sick in pregnancy uh, with my my most current child, my nine month old, um, I could not pick up the weights. I could not um, go down there, not because I wasn't strong enough to do it, but because that movement was was hurting me. Um, and and so I had to find something different. I had to slow down because I recognized that the stage that my body is in 
walks were what felt good to me. Yoga felt good to me. That gentle light movement felt good to me. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to help people realize that we can step away from what may have served us last year or five years ago, or even two months ago. Um, it's okay to one rest, not just okay. It's necessary to rest. A lot of people have that, um, you know, you hit the ground running on Monday morning, never miss a morning, um, or never miss a Monday, these different mindsets that are fed to us. Um, and it's okay to change up that narrative in our own lives. So um, that was a very roundabout way of, of kind of explaining that disordered eating, but it's, it's a big mindset. And a lot of the things that I see somebody with an actual um, a, an eating disorder, I see those patterns mimicked in everyday life. And, and it's so common now that it's seen as the norm. Yeah. And I agree with you hundred percent. And I know for myself with, with the body dysmorphia and the body image struggle and the long history of, uh, of, of food being you seen as an objective fuel to, to, mm -hmm. uh, it was all about performance. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I would create these patterns of deprivation and then, you know, gluttony and, and then, mm -hmm. then you had, a, then you would, then I would deprive because of the impact of the, you know, but they were, they, they danced together. And, mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I, I joked about, you know, when I would be dieting for a show, getting ready for a show, the day that I started the, the, the diet, the new regiment was the day that I started craving donuts. Yeah. The irony was that I didn't eat donuts in the off season. <laughs> you know, it's like, what was that about? Well, I know me, it was because I now couldn't have it, mm -hmm. even though I would have, wouldn't eat it when I normally was allowed to eat it. I wouldn't anyways, but now all of a sudden I'm craving something that I can't have because I can't have it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and later on in the, in that particular restriction, there's probably was, you know, blood sugars low and all those other things because of low carbohydrate. And there might've been a lot of reasons why my body was physically craving, but early on, it was too soon for that. It was all mental. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you oh, know? Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, we would go, I would go, I would go through cycles of, of then when I was off that that training regiment and it was in the off season then it was really really hard to reel it in and have any level of balance um so for a long long time there was a lot of yo-yoing and the you know certain foods were bad and certain foods were you know you know healthy or good or whatever so it was it was really learning a different way of looking at food looking at myself um and it if i'm not if I'm not aware of it, I can always slip back in some of that old thinking. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so, so Rachel, maybe kind of go into it a little bit about uh, segue into what's your business. You have a business now and what, what are you offering to the community? What, what type of clientele do you work with? So. Sure. So we are a brand new business. Um, Real beautiful you. It is at 420 North main street in Rockford. So um, it's a really cool location. It's in this big old historic building, beautiful house. Um, it's called the Emerson House, if anybody's familiar with that. 
Um, a lot of rich history has come in here. And so it is actually the perfect home to house this business. Um, and so what I, what we're doing here, um, my dream for years, I'm talking probably 12 years, 15 years, I've known that I've wanted to create some kind of practice for myself. Um, and it has just evolved and grown, especially over the last six months to a year. And it's really, really cool to see. So we've got um, myself um, doing nutrition counseling, um, mainly focusing on things like behavior change and the disordered eating. We have a registered dietitian, Jackie Kirshner, that you spoke with. Um, and she, um, is able to go a little bit more into that clinical aspect, um, if need be, but she also does a lot of work with behavior. Um, and so that's a, it's a cool fit. We, we meld really well together in that aspect, um, kind of balancing each other out there. I've got several movement teachers, um, and then a massage therapist, and it, it just keeps kind of growing. There's a few really fun people that I'm excited to talk with over the next couple of weeks um, about potentially working with them, potentially bringing in a physical therapist, um, a few other types of movement I had spoken to. We wanna offer movement that serves different clientele. And so yoga might not be for everybody and that's okay. And so I want to bring in um, low equipment, very um, accessible types of movement is really important to me. So if somebody is only able to come in or able to afford um, one class a week or one class a month for that matter, when they leave, hopefully they're leaving with a sense of, okay, I can take this home and I can do it. And so that's the, the idea behind very little to no equipment in the classes. Um, so we have all different aspects to the business. The main goal of this business, Kevin, is that everybody is welcome, all, all different body types, um, all shapes and sizes and walks of life. That's really important to me. And so I have been very, very intentional about um, approaching people to be working with me. Um, and I know as a business owner, you're, I'm sure you're aware of this too. I can put out a help wanted ad. And I can have 20 people apply. The idea is that I have people that fit into the philosophy of the business. And so somebody is not going to come in and work with me, sit down with me for a nutrition counseling session and hear one message. And then they're going to stay for a movement class. And one of my teachers is going to start giving these ideas of we need to work for those cookies tonight, or you need to you know, work off that Thanksgiving dinner or whatever it might be. Nobody's ever going to walk in and hear those types of messages here. That messaging is clear throughout with every practitioner that somebody meets with. And so um, that's really important to me. And I've been very clear with every single person that I've spoken with about it. Nice. So, so yeah, and congratulations, because I know that uh, it is definitely needed and having, you. you know, up in, up in my office in the Milwaukee area, one of the things that we specialize in um, besides addiction is eating disorders. And I know in the Rockford area, that is definitely a needed 
uh, we need more resources um, with disordered eating and eating disorders and just helping individuals um, the how-to to have different relationship with food and, and that interaction. Mm-hmm. So I'm grateful that uh, Real Beauty Real Beauty You, right? That's the name Real of the beautiful, Real Beautiful You. Real Beautiful You. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad that you guys are open and, and taking clients. What is the best way for people to uh, get in contact with you or reach out to you? So our website is realbeautiful.me. Somebody can go onto the website. We have all of our services listed. We're open for booking. Um, We've got services every day except Sunday. And um, if somebody's on social media, our Facebook is realbeautifulullc. And our Instagram handle is realbeautiful.u. Okay. Well, perfect. Well, Rachel, if there was anything that you wanted to share with listeners as we wrap up for this episode, what would you want to share with the listeners? I would love for people to know that they are exactly where they're meant to be, where they're supposed to be right here, right now. They're in the body they're supposed to be in and it's okay to want more, but my goal for them, my hope for them is that they learn to do it in a healthy sustainable way that they learn that there's ups and downs, nothing is linear and that they're able to find that self-love, that peace and that acceptance um, without all the extreme measures. And that's, that's it. I, I want people to learn love within themselves first and foremost. Perfect. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on and thank you for what you are doing in the community and the individuals that you're attracting and drawing in to come and work for you to be a resource for our community, uh, specifically regarding this idea of how we can have a different relationship with ourselves, specifically our bodies and how we view um, nutrition. So thank you so much for having me on, Kevin. I really appreciate it. And I hope you or I appreciate you helping to get my message out. No, not a problem. For the ones that um, th- that this uh, rings a rings true to you, and if you or if you know someone that is um, questioning themselves or, or, or struggling with it, definitely reach out um, to to Rachel. Um, I will have everything in the show notes uh, for for a way of getting a hold of Rachel. And if not for you. Um, definitely pass that on to someone else. As always, thank you for being with us and I look forward to being with you next week.